Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I am Laura Gregg, and I'm joined with my co-host, David Partain. Hello, David. Hello, Laura. On this cold Chicago day, my goodness. I know. It is cold. Mm-hmm. But we're going to warm things up, right? That's right. On the Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their businesses, all while deepening client relationships. And today, we're going to be talking about women and financial wellness. I think I may have cited this stat on another podcast, but it it bears repeating. Uh, Last year, McKinsey & Company released a study citing that in 2019, women controlled a third of total U.S. financial wealth with more than $10 trillion. So that's a big number. But they also cited that that figure was expected to rise to $30 trillion by 2030. So less than 10 years from now, that figure is going to triple. One of the challenges in this industry is that the women are looked at as a segment, as a monolith. And it's it's assumed by many, and hopefully that's starting to change, but that we're all afraid of risk, we're not interested in investing, and that we all prefer to invest conservatively. I'm not sure that I remember you quoting that but on the podcast, but I do know you've quoted it to me several times. For those of you who do listen to the podcast, you do know how passionate Laura is on this topic. And she has consequently made me very passionate about it. FlexShares actually conducted research on high net worth primary breadwinners, both men and women in 2019, and found that a lot of the assumptions we make based on gender in this industry just fall flat. That's so true, David. Prior to the FlexShares research, Our guest today, Heather Ettinger, conducted groundbreaking work on women breadwinners of all income levels. I think, Heather, you started that in 2015? That's correct. Heather is a dynamic force in this industry, and she is a managing partner of Fairport Wealth and founder and CEO of Luma Wealth, which she built specifically to serve women and all of their varying needs. But most recently, Heather has published a book, Lumination, Shining a Light on a Woman's Journey to Financial Wellness. I read this book in a day, which for me is quite rare. In fact, my family just looked at me as I sat on the sofa reading it, kind of in awe because they don't often see that. It provided a new way of thinking about financial wellness for me. Heather focused on the mental, the spiritual, and also the physical aspects of wellness in addition to financial well-being. So Heather, I'm so excited to talk about the book, 
your journey through financial services today. And we're just delighted to have you on the podcast. Laura and David, I am just thrilled to be here and talk about a topic which I think we're all very passionate about. Heather, I think we may have met about four years ago at a women's financial advisory conference. And if I remember correctly, I think it was a Barron's event. And I had the good fortune of joining you for dinner after the, the conference and being seated next to you. And I realized immediately your passion for helping female advisors feel more empowered and also to help them help their female clients feel more confident in their ability to earn and invest and to create their own legacies. What drives that passion for you, Heather? Laura, thanks for asking that question. And I do remember that dinner. It was just wonderful to connect with you, and I'm glad our friendship and and partnership continues. So what drives my passion at the end of the day is, is my why, which is if we educate and empower women, they are the agents of social change. But let me just kind of share a story. And, and when I think back on my career, which at this point is over 30 years of serving women and their families, these are the kind of stories that pop up to the top. They're, they're why I do what I do. We were working with a widow who had a, a pretty overbearing husband when he was alive. Then when he passed away, she was, for all intensive purposes, being controlled by a few advisors who I think thought the money was theirs and not hers. There really wasn't any kind of cohesive plan. There was no prioritization of what she wanted. And very importantly, on the charitable giving side, it was just a mishmash of her just writing checks when she was solicited rather than having an overarching focus or philosophy. I sat down with her after we got her house in order, which that's a whole nother story. I sat down with her and walked through kind of what were the organizations that had most impacted her life that really gave her the most joy, etc. And so what we did is we went from her giving checks, writing checks and and giving to a number of smaller organizations, we moved to really a being a lot more tax efficient through appreciated securities and other strategies. But most importantly, we focused on three organizations where she could create her legacy in her lifetime. We showed her the potential power of what she could do to impact these organizations, two of which, incidentally, were education institutions that served young women. Fast forward about five years ago, I was sitting in her living room and one of those organizations came to her home, showed her videos, showed her pictures, had testimonials, of the girls who talked about the leadership program that she created that changed their lives. And Laura, I'm talking about over 6,000 women. When you ask what powers me, that's it. That just, those are the days that I'm most proud of. 
I am so happy for her that we were able to do that in her lifetime and the power of how many women and girls she has influenced and really changed the course of their lives because of her philanthropy. Wow, that is quite a legacy. And I myself is a, a beneficiary of a woman who sounds very similar to that, that really has helped me along the way. So it's very near and dear to my heart. There was a statistic that you quoted in your book that really gave me pause. You cited that only 6% of all national funds are used to support the needs of women and girls. You write about the impact that education and empowerment of women would not only enable them to gather more wealth, but in doing so, help them become agents of social change. I'm hoping you could tell us more about those connections and what it means globally and and to you personally. A favorite topic. So thanks for asking, Laura. I'm going to go back just for a moment to kind of my inception story, as I like to say, of this path of working with women and their families. It started when I moved back to Cleveland, my hometown. I started working with the Women's Community Foundation of Cleveland, which was one of the national network of women's funds in this country. And there were actually, believe it or not, this is late 80s, early 90s, already 90 of those types of funds. And they were specifically founded because, yes, only 6% of national funding was going to programs for women and girls. Secondly, because even when the women controlled the wealth, even if it came through their side of the family or they earned it, they still weren't being treated well by the financial services industry and they weren't getting what they needed. And third, as we said, we knew if we educated and empowered them, they would be the agents of social change. That is really what set me on on the course that I went on to see what we could do to really change the dialogue and and help women to see the power of their money and their values and their interest in social change. And so if you fast forward to today, that is certainly a combination of impact in terms of investments in both the public and private markets and how that has evolved ESG. And, and of course, your team is, is doing a good job of introducing products in the public market there as well. Then it's the focus on venture capital, seeding female entrepreneurs and racial equity, etc. That has been a passion of mine for a number of years, both through a group in Cleveland run by my dear friend, Lynn Ann Grease, to Portfolia and other organizations on a national level that are investing in these female entrepreneurs to also importantly, the philanthropic side. So whether it's the Women's Donor Network or other vehicles and and organizations out there that are bringing together women who want to impact change through their own charitable giving and philanthropy. I'll let you in on a little secret too. The women that are at the forefront of this 
are some of the most dynamic, exciting, fun people you will ever meet. They have a ton of energy and it's just really powerful. And no matter if you can give $500 a year or $5 million a year, they don't really care. It's all about coming together, being connected and talking about what we can do collectively to move forward the social change that needs to happen for women and girls. Heather, so I'm not sure that there is a person listening to this podcast that hasn't at some point thought, I'm going to write a book. And then they realize just how much work there is. And well, you actually did it. And Laura told me that you wrote the entire book without a ghostwriter. Heck, if I could get a ghostwriter for my tweets, I would do it. So when and why did you decide to write it? And how can advisors benefit from reading it? Well, David, you are spot on. It was, I knew it was going to be a lot of work and it was even more work than I knew it was going to be. And I ended up having to hire a personal assistant to get all the detail done to get me across the finish line because those who know me know I'm a visionary and detail is not my strong suit. But I, I made up my mind about a year and a half ago and truthfully, I'd been asked for years to to write a book. Some people said, tell your story. Some people said, tell the story of what you've been doing for 30 years and why it's important and a lot of different things. I really wrote the book because I continued to see a building financial wellness crisis in our country. And you may or may not know that over 70% of Americans, regardless of social economic status, say the largest source of stress is financial. For women in particular, because we know that the way the industry is approaching them and their financial management, et cetera, is not resonating. PIMCO had a study a couple of years ago that said over 50% of women in this study, which was about 750 women, said the industry doesn't reflect their lifestyle or the services that they want. <laughs> That's a pretty mm. big condemnation. What I knew was we really needed to reframe the dialogue. And based on the work that we've been doing at Luma Wealth and, and historically in my career with our team, we have a good sense of how that should be reframed. That's why I wrote the book. I'm very vulnerable, as Laura probably could share. I tell my own stories. They're not all pretty. I really go through kind of talking about our money journey and money code and how that gets developed and how that influences our relationships. And I talk about six different areas of life and, and how to think about it. But at the end of the day, what I'm really trying to do is reframe the dialogue around money. And I'm just crazy enough to think that I can lead a movement to do this in our industry because it is so needed. And it's quite frankly, not just needed for women, although that's the focus of the book. It's truthfully needed, I think, for everyone and including this next generation. So how we talked about money historically may have worked for a while for a certain segment of our population, but it hasn't worked for women. 
I would argue, ever. And going forward, I think next gen is going to want a different relationship as well. So really, that's what the book is, is setting a framework to have a much healthier relationship with your money and your overall wellness. For advisors, it will absolutely give you a roadmap on how to have these types of discussions with your clients. And I would argue if you do the work yourself first, it's going to resonate a lot more when you try to take it to your clients. Yeah, I know for my wife and I, money is the one of the single biggest stressors in our marriage. So, and we've been married over 30 years. I, if um, an advisor can help in that regard, they would be worth their weight in gold. One of the things that really ticks me off is when a sales professional starts with the question, well, how much are we talking here? And you mentioned in the book about how advisors may need to think differently when they meet with female prospects, because often the first thing that is asked and discussed is how much money there is to work with. So for advisors, why is it that not an appropriate starting point? Well, first, I think there there are really two things. Number one is you're trying to build trust. In the first study that I did with my friend Eileen O'Connor, what we found out was that over 96% of women said, I'm looking for my advisor to demonstrate an understanding of what's unique about me and my family. So if you start with the money, that's not what's unique about them and their family. They want you to ask a lot of questions about their background, their priorities, what keeps them up at night, what are potential barriers or triggers to challenges along the way, and different important questions like that. What I would say is the industry sees the money as the what. Where the disconnect is, is that she and her family say, no, the what in this case, how I outline it is six different areas of life, job purpose, relationships, community, health, play, and spirituality. That's the what, because that's the what of their lives. The why is their values, their money code, their money journey, and how that influenced the choices and priorities that they make. And the how is financial capital, but also human capital. One of the things that Laura and I talked about with the first breadwinner study was that 46% of the women we interviewed said they knew they were leaving money on the table. And that relates to their human capital, the benefits of the organization that they work with or whatever. That's why it's so important to understand that the what is not their money. The what is these six areas of life the how happens to be, yes, financial capital and human capital, but you've got to connect the, the what, the why, and the how. And if you start with money, they're going to just turn off and probably not hear three more words that you say. So it's really, really important to start with a deep dialogue about what's important to them. You know, Heather, that is so aligned with the research that we conducted you know, we're all used to hearing that that stat about 60% of women will leave their advisors after a death of a spouse or a divorce. And what we found when we were uh, surveying high net worth primary breadwinners is that the women were actually 
twice as loyal to their advisor than their male counterparts. You know, again, not all women, but this high net worth group of women had this loyalty to the advisors. And we believe that that is a direct result of them having maybe a primary relationship with those advisors, having a a large uh, say in selecting the advisor, if not choosing the advisor on their own. And, And they told us that they were looking for their advisor to think of them outside of the investment portfolio, to offer them proactive ideas for a truly holistic long-term relationship. Very, very much aligned with what you're talking about. A lot of what I'm hearing you talk about and what I gathered from the book has to really do with EQ or emotional intelligence, or you know, maybe just old-fashioned listening. How can advisors fine-tune those skills and what are the benefits of doing so when they're hiring? How can they screen for people to come in their organization that have those, those soft skills, but so important to the journey that they need to help their clients find? I love these questions. In in terms of how advisors can fine-tune skills and, and the benefits of doing so, I think it's really important to be vulnerable yourself, to share relatable stories. Women love connection and community. When we start our programs, we start by sharing stories because they will relate to stories much more than they will to somebody telling them what to do. And just ask my husband, I'm not really good when you tell me what to do, but if you tell me a story and why I might do it, that's going to have more meaning to me. I think that's really important when you're thinking about your own skills. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to open up. You have to be willing to share and avoid trying to prove you're the smartest person in the room, which will likely be the biggest turnoff to her if you go down that path. I think the second part, Laura, to your question, how should they screen for those skills when hiring? We happen to be on a system called EOS, which is Entrepreneurial Operating System. And it dramatically changed how we look for not just advisors, but truthfully, anybody on our team, because honestly, the client service managers or even the portfolio managers, et cetera, all need to have empathy, all need to have continuous improvement or initiative. Those are three of of our five values. So what we do is we actually interview around the values. So I might ask, give me an example of when you showed empathy for a coworker or a client. Have them tell stories because the stories will give me a sense of whether they really get it or not. I've had a long career and often I joke when somebody's trying to prove to me that they support women or whatever, I'm usually pretty cautious thinking, well, why are they trying to prove that to me? Whereas if I hear a story about something significant that they did that clearly illustrates them understanding by getting in the shoes of a woman that they 
love and hold dearly and really understanding that perspective and how that changed them, that is going to resonate with me much more so. So I think it's really important to pull out those stories. And if they don't have stories, you probably have your answer as to whether it's going to be a good fit. But we we seriously do interview around our five core values and draw out stories to ensure that these people are aligned with those values. So that is fantastic. And it reminds me of a conversation we had a few weeks ago about the pandemic. And you had mentioned, and this I think is illustrative of how you're doing your interviewing. You put your your client service association associates in a kind of a different role. Can you maybe talk about that? Sure. Going into the pandemic, first, I'll tell you that I totally misjudge. I thought the recent retirees would be the most panicked because particularly because of the drawdown in in February of last year. And then going into this shutdown, I was off the mark. The two groups that needed the most attention were really the business owners dealing with pivoting their business and PPP, et cetera. And the second group was widows, largely because they were so isolated. One of the things that we did quite quickly is we really, first of all, gave our whole team the support that they needed to be able to reach out to any and all clients on a regular basis. But in particular, we were focusing in on our widows because they were so alone and so isolated. And we even had our receptionist who clearly didn't need to greet anybody at our office anymore. We pivoted her role into reaching out to a lot of these widows because she is very empathetic. She is one of the most wonderful people to have a conversation with. We gave her a number of different ideas and resources that she could call them up and talk about books that they were reading and how we might share those or recipes and other things so that the advisors didn't carry the whole burden of worrying about the widows. I mean, clearly we were, but we really garnered the resources of our whole client service team to help us in just assuring those widows that we were thinking about them, that we understood that they were alone, that we were trying to connect them with others and really trying to help them get through this really difficult time with some brighter spots every day or every few days in terms of people that they could connect with. That is so powerful and very different from how many advisors approach things, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, kudos to you and your staff. I'm sure it's had a lasting impact on those people that you touched. You had, Heather, and you still do have a very successful RIA practice, Fairport Wealth, but in 2017, you hung a new and separate shingle when you opened Luma Wealth. Will you tell us a little bit about both firms and their differences and how you're able to juggle both of them? (laughs) Well, Laura, some days I juggle better than others, but uh, (laughs) really the, the Fairport 
legacy firm dates back to 1963, an investment management firm that then evolved into wealth management, really has become a, a significant size firm. And, and I'm very proud of what we've accomplished with that. But the reason to hang out a separate shingle for Luma was I felt it was really important to take the work that we've been doing for now over 30 years in the space serving niches of, of women and their families to really codify it, enhance it, and take it to the next level and go out with a significant message to the marketplace to say that we are, by the way, male and female advisors serving women and their families, and that we are here not only to help them through their own financial wellness journey, but really, most importantly, to help them manage life. Some things that we do very differently are we have a very significant commitment to financial literacy at all levels, meaning whether you're new and just learning what financial planning is about, whether you're negotiating that next job offer, whether you need help with elder care services, etc. cetera. But we raising financially responsible kids, all those different topics are part of our financial learning literacy program. The second is creating community, creating connection for women. They love it. They want to be around like-minded and like-situation women in a safe environment. And we have created that through the Luma network. So that connection, if you will, and also connecting them to additional services to help manage the life of the family. These We're not getting paid for these or anything else. It's just as women and men who have managed the life of the family, but particularly the women, we know a lot of resources out there. So whether you need elder care for your parents or whether you need to know where to get your kid tested for learning differences, or you need an employment attorney, we're going to make those introductions for you and, and quickly so that you can get on to whatever else you need to be juggling for the family. What is important with Luma is that we are going national. We are looking for other growth-minded advisors. And I don't mean just growing their business. I mean those that are on the forefront of ESG impact, philanthropy. Those are that are on the forefront of communicating through different life transitions, that kind of thing. So people who are really interested interested in collaborating for change of the industry, doing a better job of serving women and their families. And that's what we're really looking to do is create a movement, if you will, in this industry of people who say, individually, I can have an impact together with Luma and the advisors and team there I can have a magnified impact and influence positively more lives. And that's what we're looking to do. So it was a bit of making a statement, but it is a different delivery model that we have created from the historical business. We're looking to take that business national. Well, Heather, 
I feel like we could talk much, much longer on this topic, but unfortunately we run out of time. So please leave us with a couple of actual ideas for advisors. First, what is a key takeaway to improve their relationships with female clients? And second, what can they do to attract more women into their practice as employees and clients? David, I love this question. So I think as far as ways they can improve their relationships with their female clients, really think about the approach. Think about getting in their shoes. What is going to be their pain point? Do the research. You all have some great research out there on breadwinner women and and other areas. There's some very, very good research out there. Really build your understanding and build your response to a specific niche of clients that resonates with you and that you will resonate with because of your life experience. That's really important. And that gets into kind of the second point as you're growing your practice is really start to pick out niches. Laura said it early on, women are not a niche. We're actually the majority of the population. Pick niches that really resonate and be innovative. I think at this point, it's it's important to serve widows and divorcees, et cetera. But maybe think about you want to serve orthopedic surgeons because your family grew up in that space and you understand some unique challenges that they are dealing with or or other groups. So really think about a niche approach, be innovative and build your message and experience around solving once again for kind of those pain points. And then lastly, to attract more women into your practice, I would say, first of all, really think about what is the environment in which you create? With COVID, we've all learned that there is the possibility to work more remote. But I'll be honest with you, part of the reason we've attracted so many great female advisors and female talent over the years is because they knew we would give them flexibility because we've always found that if you treat them like adults and you give them flexibility, they are going to pay you back fourfold. They're the most dedicated, hardworking employees you'll have. Secondly, think about the culture. Think about what does the office look like? If you don't know this, women make up their minds in the first seven seconds that they walk in through your door. If it's dark setting, very male-centric, etc., probably not going to resonate a whole lot with them. Look at your website. Is your website inclusive? Look at your policies and procedures and really making sure that they're they're recognizing that women in particular are juggling over 70% of the household duties. What are you doing to help them in that process? So I think that'll help you recruit them both as employees and quite frankly, as clients, because when my advisors tell prospects and clients how much they love working for us, because we really understand all that they're juggling, that resonates with clients too. They're not individual in terms of each thing to do. They're all interrelated. But I do think understanding niches, understanding what pain points you're solving for, 
really thinking about the approach being about these six areas of life, not just about money. And then what's what's the look and feel of your offices, your website and your culture? And does that really resonate with women? You know, Heather, I, I, those are all great suggestions, fantastic takeaways. And I want to point to uh, another podcast that we're actually dropping this weekend. And the whole focus of podcast, it's number 44 with Marie DeZanis, our mutual friend, is on building a sustainable culture. If you want to get more detailed information on the importance of culture and how it can drive your business, I would encourage you to to listen to episode 44 with Marie DeZanis. Thank you so much. Well, I can't wait to listen to that because, A, I'm a huge Marie fan. And secondly, we all can continue learn here. And and certainly she's been one of of the best in terms of building culture. And I've just so enjoyed being on this podcast today. I feel honored. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Well, unfortunately, Heather, for all of us, it is the end of our time and it has been a real delight. I just hope you will come back again. I would be honored. Thank you, David. And thank you, Laura. Thank Thank you. So if you are an advisor and would like to know more about this topic, you should read Heather's book, Lumination, Shining a Light on a Woman's Journey to Financial Wellness, and go to lumawealth.com. That's L-U-M-A wealth.com. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you will find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.